If you're interested in listening ad-free, go to patreon.com slash the SCP experience. There you can enjoy my ad-free podcast and never have to listen to ads again. That's patreon.com slash the SCP experience. Now time for the story. I clamp a hand over my mouth, trying not to cough, as a strange mist seeps in through unseen cracks in the church walls. It smells foul and has a yellowish tint to it. But the mist isn't my biggest concern. The entire building seems to be vibrating, and freakish noises are coming from behind the large curtains blocking half the stage. From my hidden spot on the church balcony, I peer surreptitiously down at the throng of people amid the pews below. They're chanting and speaking in tongues, swaying in their church clothes. The strange, nonsensical noises they make are nothing compared to the shrieks and warbles coming from behind the curtains. I snuck into the church hours ago, hiding in a cramped upstairs closet with some folding chairs and cleaning supplies. I only moved out of the closet after I heard the ceremony, or whatever the hell this is, in full swing. My nephew went missing a week ago, and the police haven't been able to tell us anything of value, so I've taken it upon myself to investigate. And if anyone in our small town has been acting strange over the last few weeks, it's Reverend Hawshore. Whatever the hell is happening now only solidifies the notion that he had something to do with Brandon's disappearance. Dressed in a simple black outfit with a white collar, Hawshore paces in front of the curtain on stage. His voice grows louder as to be heard above the horrific noises coming from behind him. In order to gain the forgiveness and favor of the gods, We must learn to know our place before them. He shouts for the third time, hands gesturing like an orchestra conductor. It is for the good of everybody. The maroon curtains behind him flare out here and there as the hidden activity grows more and more violent. The earthquake grows in intensity and the caustic mist slowly filling the building seems to glow with electric light. I have to use every ounce of self-control not to clamber to my feet and run out of the church. Fear shreds my nerves like razor blades as I realize what's happening here should be impossible. I don't know what it is, but I do know it should be impossible. We have given a child's blood. Ashwar belts out at his congregation. May we be forgiven. It is for the good of everyone. As I realize he's talking about Brandon, A sharp column of bluish light parts the curtain and shoots out, piercing Reverend Hoshor's body and branching out, refracted. These smaller spears slice into the members of the congregation, throwing them into apparent ecstasy. The beams of light suddenly blink out, and I have to shake my head and rub my eyes as I look at the Reverend. His body has strange holes in it, but not in the clothing or the skin. There's no blood, no wounds, The holes are perfectly circular, and they each look different inside, like they're mini portals to strange dimensions. The curtains part violently now, and several long appendages, almost like long alligator tails, whip out in a frenzy. One of them knocks the reverend aside, sending him flying off the platform. A piercing scream comes from the creature behind the curtain as it continues to move appendages out toward the congregation. It's massive and I catch a glimpse of its head, which is nothing more than an assemblage of competing mouths with sharp, crooked teeth. Glistening black tongues shoot out of each of these crowded mouths, 
blinking and rolling eyeballs at the tips of them. I scramble and stumble back, pure terror making my muscles spasm. I finally get to my feet and run down the narrow wooden staircase from the balcony. As I get to the foyer, I glance over my shoulder to see that the members of the congregation are running toward me. But they no longer look like people. Their faces and limbs are morphing, distorting. One of them sees me and screams, a shrill, insane scream that could crack bones. With a shout, I burst through the front doors and run into the street, thinking I need to get to my sister's house, to warn her. The strange yellowish fog everywhere combines with the darkness of night to make it hard to see more than 10 yards. It's the least of my concerns. I run toward my car, parked two blocks away, hearing the crowd pour out of the church behind me. The screech of car tires is followed quickly by the resounding crunch of a car crash. I look over my shoulder, unable to stop myself, and see a car wrapped around a light pole. Some of the strange humanoids run up to it, the police inside screaming and shouting in fear. Other churchgoers spread out. I see one suddenly levitate, shooting up into the thick fog like a demented superhero. Another jumps through the window of a building, seemingly unconcerned with the shattering glass. As I turn back to look where I'm going, a bright circle of thrashing light appears in the road. A man in a bowler hat and a waistcoat emerges from the too bright circle. But as I get closer, I realize it's not a man. Not really. Where a face would be on a human, there is only a triangle branded into the otherwise smooth skin there. The creature turns its head and looks at me. Even though it doesn't have any eyes, I know instinctively that it sees me. Maybe it even sees into me. I stumble, then change directions, running directly toward the library to my right. As I lunge up the stone steps to the Daleport Public Library, the front door swings open. Sal Johnston, the head librarian, waves me inside with wide eyes. Stumbling over the threshold, I shout for him to lock the glass and metal door. He does, turning to me after he's done, his lips a narrow slash amid his white beard. We simply share a look, both of us shaking our heads and searching for words that are wholly inadequate to describe such a situation. Come with me, he says after a long moment. Back to my office. We can call the police. We move past the front desk and through a doorway with a sign on it that reads, Library Employees Only. Johnston stops ahead of me, looking around the room like it's the first time he's seen it. What is it? I ask. What's wrong? He stutters. I, I, this room, it's not right. I look around, noticing the furniture in the room. It does seem kind of strange to have a couch, a toilet, and a sink placed haphazardly in the employees-only area of the library. There's even a fireplace in one wall. Suddenly, the walls begin to shift, moving toward each other as the ceiling lowers down on us. Go! Johnston says, spinning around. I turn around to see that the doorway is rapidly shrinking. I lunge through, <laughs> crashing into the front desk. Then I turn around to help Johnston but the door is shrinking too fast. He shoves his arm through and I grab it and try to pull, but it's no use. The doorway compresses on his arm, crunching the bone. I can hear Johnston scream from the other side of the blank wall containing the now tiny door. I stare at the mangled arm sticking out of the wall, my mind rebelling in frantic desperation. 
glass shattering at the front door catches my attention, and I look that way to see a mass of slithering tentacles barging into the building. I jump from behind the long desk and run deeper into the library. As I turn the corner into the kids' section, I come face to face with the strange creature wearing a bowler hat and featuring a triangle for a face. There's a swirling circle of bright light behind it. Trying to change directions, I nearly fall directly into the thing. By the time I manage to turn around, the giant mass of tentacles is turning the corner, bearing down on me. A hand clamps on my shoulder, at once freezing and burning my skin through my shirt. The triangle-faced creature yanks me off my feet and throws me into the swirling circle, which closes immediately after I pass through. I stumble backward and trip over something, crashing back into what I quickly realize is a couch. I land between the couch and the coffee table I just tripped over. There's a woman's scream from directly behind me, followed by a familiar voice. Darren? A man's voice says. I twist my head to look back over the couch to see my brother-in-law, Jalen, pointing a hunting rifle at me. My sister, Serena, appears next to him. Where did you come from? Jalen asks, now pointing the gun at the floor. I, I was just in the library and I, the words die in my throat. It's too crazy to say. So I settle for the truth as I stand up. I don't know. What does that mean? Serena says, pointing past me. I turn to look where she's pointing and see two words burned into the living room wall. Town hall. That thing, I say. It sent me here. It knew this was where I was trying to get. What thing? Jalen says. Have you looked outside lately? I ask, heading over toward a shuttered window. Of course we have, my brother-in-law says. Why do you think I'm carrying a gun around? A peek out the window reveals strange figures. No more than shapes, really, out in the dense yellow fog. I think that thing, it's helping, I say. It's trying to save us, protecting us against those monsters. Serena and Jalen just look at me, fear and confusion on their faces. I point up at the still smoldering words on the wall. We need to go there, to town hall. You're out of your mind, Jalen says. We're not leaving our house, no way. We're not safe in here, I say, going over to plead with him. I was just at the library, and the building was strange. A room got really small after turning into someplace else. Someplace else? You're not making any sense, Darren. Serena's voice has a fever pitch to it. First, she lost her son. Now, this. I wish I could tell her I have good news about Brandon, but I can't. I don't. Johnston didn't recognize the room when we walked in. I tell her. It's like it changed. It wasn't the same room. Then it started shrinking, fast. This isn't possible, Jalen says. It's a gas leak or something, mass hallucinations. A flash of light suddenly comes from the kitchen behind my sister and her husband. It's followed quickly by a blood curdling scream. Jalen and Serena whip around, looking toward the room. We creep that way and peer inside, Jalen leading the way with the rifle. There's a man sticking out of the wall next to the fridge. It's just his body from the waist up. I recognize him from around town, but I don't recall his name. He's balding and is wearing a green collared shirt. He's pressing desperately against the wall as if trying to lever himself out of it. It's not working. And as we come into the room, he looks up at us. 
As he opens his tormented mouth to speak, blood pours out, dripping to the tile floor. He coughs and finally manages a wet, help me, before his eyes roll into his head and he goes limp. I'll get the car keys, Jalen says, still staring at the man sticking out of the wall. We pile into Serena's Honda crossover, which is backed into the garage. Jalen sits in the front passenger seat and I sit in the back while Serena's in the driver's seat. As the garage door opens, my sister puts the vehicle in gear. We can barely see anything through the fog, so Serena creeps down the driveway to the street. Something screams out of the fog toward us from the left and Serena hits the gas, wrenching the wheel to the right. We peel off down the road, nearly hitting several abandoned or crashed vehicles. Figures move toward us from the surrounding gloom. Some of them have humanoid shapes while others defy the imagination. As we turn back onto the block in which Town Hall is located, we notice a brilliant light coming from the front of the public building. There are several vehicles parked haphazardly on the building's grassy lawn and in the street. We get as close as we can before jumping out and running toward the building. Inhuman screeches and the sound of gunfire comes from all around us as we move through the fog toward the light. We can also hear people shouting, Come on! And, Move! 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 A figure comes out of nowhere, colliding with Serena. Jalen and I run to help her. The person she collided with lies limply on the ground, and I notice there's a large hole in the man's forehead with scorch marks on the bone and skin. His eyes move, looking up at us as we get Serena to her feet and continue toward the light. As the scene clarifies, I see that there's another of those large, swirling circles of light, much like the one I was thrown through to get to my sister's house. It's at the top of the town hall stairs, and that same triangle-faced creature stands beside it, beckoning to us. There are soldiers arrayed before the portal, yelling at a small crowd of people to keep moving up the stairs. They fire into the darkness occasionally. As we get closer, I realize I don't recognize their uniforms. It doesn't matter. They're on our side. That much is clear. Just above the swirling portal, I can see words etched into the stone facade of the town hall building. Pangloss grants you sanctuary. We rush up the stairs, following the last of the other people who were there before us. And as we approach the portal, I sense something looming in the chaos. I glance over my shoulder and see a massive figure a mess of geometric shapes and unlikely limbs that cause my logical mind to revolt in pure fear. My eyes lose focus, or seem to, as this thing floats down out of the fog, large enough to crush half the town. The triangle-faced creature, Pangloss, I'm guessing, communicates with me through a series of mishmashed words and emotions that seem to be transferred directly into my brain. Although I don't understand the words, the emotions are clear enough it's only trying to help, to fight the evil that Reverend Hoshor called to our dimension. I rush into the swirling portal after my sister and her husband. The ground shakes behind me as I step through. I find myself in a large room with a bunch of people I recognize from town and a couple of dozen soldiers dressed in strange uniforms. Looking around, I see my sister and Jalen. I go up to them, noticing that they look as confused as I feel. Where are we? I ask. What happened? My memories are a confused jumble. 
The last thing I recall is hiding in the church's supply closet to try and figure out what happened to my nephew. I don't know. I was just about to ask you the same thing, Serena says. Jalen just shrugs. Why are you holding a gun? I ask him. Hell if I know, he says. We're in some sort of large gymnasium or something. The walls are uniformly white and the floor is concrete. A voice suddenly comes over a loudspeaker. Stay calm. You're safe now. You're all safe now. You're with the Foundation. Help will be on the way shortly to see any injuries. Just stay put. The Foundation? I say. What the hell is that? SCP-1936 is the New England town of Daleport. In the year 1997, the town fell victim to what is presumed to be a highly destructive event or a series of highly destructive events over the course of several days. During this time, a gaseous area centered on Daleport covered the whole town. This anomaly is no longer present at SCP-1936, having dissipated a week and a half after its appearance. Dimensions of the remaining buildings have become significantly altered from the original plans, and a large number of them have become topologically inconsistent. Investigations report spatial anomalies, including rooms that become smaller when they are entered, eventually preventing the occupants from moving, doors that lead to different points at different times of the day, and corridors that, despite leading to only one location, also lead to several different locations. No survivors from the anomalous events which affected Daleport were found within the town proper, but the remains of a large number of Daleport citizens have been recovered. In many cases, the remains of these citizens demonstrate anomalous properties, presumed to be a result of the anomalous event. Approximately five weeks after the initial anomalous event, a group of Daleport citizens and several members of a mobile task force previously presumed dead showed up without warning at nearby Area 37. They had no memory of the anomalous events in Daleport, nor any explanation for the five-week gap that elapsed before they appeared safely in Foundation custody.